Okay, so this morning I would love to invite Sarah and Clint to come up. We're super excited. Yeah, we can clap. Woohoo! <laughs> and I will just let them take it from here. So we're excited to hear about your testimony of um, being foster parents and also um, the process of adoption. And their story is beautiful, and I love to hear even more about it. So here you go. Thank you. All right. Maybe you shouldn't clap yet. Wait till we're done, and then you can see. Um, Okay, so I'm Sarah Jackson, and I am not married to Jason. This is the guy. Clint. Um, (laughs) Mystery solved. Um, After all these years. Okay, so um, I guess we should start at the beginning. Clint and I met over the salad bar at Super Salad when... He was 13 in, years old. When he was 13. No, yeah. So, so years ago, we, when my family moved here when I was in eighth grade, Clint and I actually went to the same school. We crossed paths, um, but we never met before. Um, after college, I was friends with his big sister, and um, I... I know I've told this story at Mom's Group before, but I know some of you are new. I'll just tell you, Clint... Um, was my friend's younger brother, and I, I saw him at a Halloween party, and I was like, oh, you have a brother? And I was like, Clint Jackson grew up nice. Um, <laughs> he had a really funny costume on, and I was like, oh, he's so funny. So, um, you know, fast forward a while, uh, we went out to coffee, and I told him I had been thinking about moving out of state. I was planning to do it. I had just gotten back from Chicago, apartment shopping with my friend, and I just did not feel any peace about moving. So I was like, I guess I'm staying here. And um, I just told Clint, like, I guess I'm staying in Colorado Springs. It's just, I didn't plan on that. And so the next night I got a call from an unknown number. And I answer and it's like, this is KTTY Cat Country. We're looking for Sarah Ring. And I was like, this is her. And they're like, uh, you've just won free guitar lessons for a year. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I was just telling Clint last night. So then I, I, they're they're like, you're on the air. Say hello, Colorado Springs. And I'm like, hello, Colorado Springs. And he's like, okay, it's actually Clint. And, but uh, since you're staying in Colorado Springs, why don't we find the best of it together? Will you find the best sushi with me tomorrow? So then, <laughs> and he took me on a series of like three months of best of dates. And um, I wanted to marry him by the end of the dates. So get married. <laughs> and even when we were dating, we talked about adoption. And why don't you tell us a little yeah, bit sure. about your heart with that? Uh, as you're dating, you always, of course, are talking about what you want your family to be like. Do you want to have kids? And... Of course, my answer was 100%. You know, I want to have a family more than anything. Um, and we talked about adoption, too, as part of that. That We both had a heart for that. For me, my kind of desire to adopt, I think, came from not really growing up with a dad and having some of those fatherless wounds that I know probably a lot of you have in this room, too. But it just seemed part of my story. It seemed like part of my story of kind of healing and kind of redemption that I could also 
I, I think be part of the solution to a kiddo down the road. And Sarah's just maternal through and through. So she just wants to help kids naturally. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Yeah. So Sarah also wanted to do adoption. So from a, from very early on third date, I what fourth probably talked about adoption very early. So it was always part of our story, which is really sweet. And for a while it was just, we were going to the benefit for a foster care agency here in town. And, uh, we would give to them out of our tiny money that we had as newlyweds. And um, we, we ended up um, having, having our first child about 15 months after we got married, and then we had another baby. And then we were kind of like maxed out for a little while. Um, and, and over the next few years, we were kind of back and forth, like, like are we going to adopt? Are we not going to adopt? We were not on the same page at the same time ever. And um, when our youngest was four, we went up to a cabin with some friends, a couple families, and one of them was foster parents. And um, tell tell them kind of like what Kyle was saying to. Well, it was nice because it, it's interesting, the hurdle to start foster care, like in theory, you want to do it. Um, but there's never a convenient time to do it. And that's typically why no one ever gets started with it. Um, and so I, I think we um, got in that situation where we knew it was kind of in the roadmap. But it was nice to become pretty close friends with somebody who was doing it at the time and hear from them. And there's something also just from dad to dad that's really helpful, too, because um, just hearing it from the dad's perspective. And so... Um, yeah, I remember that weekend sharing with our friend Kyle that, like, you know, this is something I would love to do and asking him a lot of questions and him just saying, like, I think you'd be a great foster dad. You should do it 100%. You and know? just, like, we need you. Yeah. Like, yeah. him saying that to Clint specifically. And so we're still back and forth during this time. We even looked into international adoption and traditional adoption. And, and those are wonderful. And we have lots of good friends. Uh, all of his step-siblings were adopted through those two ways. Um, but we really specifically felt called to foster care. And um, and kind of along the lines of the, like, you never feel like it's quite the right time or am I ready? Um, I was at the airport last on Tuesday, I was at the airport and flying home and there was somebody started having heart attack and um, in my corridor, I was waiting for my flight and they called for like a, like a doctor or somebody, like somebody who knew what they were doing. And I was like, I know how to use the AED paddles, but I'm like the least qualified. I mean, technically I'm certified to do that, but like, cause I've taken first aid through foster care. We have to. And, um, so I just start walking towards it. Like, surely I'm not the most qualified person in this crowded corridor to do this. And I just was like getting so anxious, like there has to be someone better than me to do this here. And um, there wasn't, nobody was coming forward. And and right when I got up there, he started breathing again. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was about to do it and electrocute myself or something. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and so anyway, I felt like that with foster care, like surely there's someone whose kids are like, like grown and they, but they're still young and they have like, I don't know, all the capacity in the world to do it or they have their life perfectly figured out. But we were called to do it and we couldn't run away from that calling. It was like, at, 
finally came to the point where Clint was like, I'm afraid to not do this because running away from God's call on our lives is dangerous as well. So this friend, unfortunately, uh, he died in a helicopter crash, just crazy. Six months, six months later, yeah. after that cabin. I think that's really what kind of said it. We're like, yeah, we should do that. You know, just, of course, being at his funeral and hearing the impact that they had left, and it was really special. So we were like, all right, let's do it. So we got going on that, and um, like Sarah said, we explored everything um, around that, options, different ways to adopt, and you know, it, it always came back to foster care. And I, I think it's, you know, as Christians, we're called to serve, and there's different things in our hearts, and it's very clear that, like, like, I had to preface it. I'm a very ordinary person, right? I, I'm not in ministry. I don't, like, I just love Jesus, right? And very normal person. But this calling of my life was, like, so clear, right? It's, like, one of the clearest things where you're, like, oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need like to do crap. that. Like, <laughs> yeah. crap. Yeah, and so, yeah, you don't feel very qualified, but... I just I think that's an important note that this was clearly something that we needed to do and it was part of our DNA. So we eventually settled on foster care is really the only thing that made sense for us and um, a good place for us to get to work. So we started filling out the paperwork and going through the classes and everything, and um, people just came out of the woodwork with their. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, my sister was murdered by a foster child. Or the craziest, worst case scenario stories you've ever heard. People, even it seemed like they would look them up on the internet before they got together with us. Like, I have, okay, just so you know, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, and we had a lot of supportive people in our lives. But there's such a stigma related to foster care. I mean... Um, and and so we were kind of like still moving forward doing it and um, we had one friend who was um, like tell me about <laughs> oh, I mean there's lots of variations of these of course comments throughout um, I, I always love the of course the well I couldn't do that because you know I'd care too much and I would you know my heart would break I'm like oh yeah. You care too much about kids. Yeah. That's why you That's can't why do it. I'm doing it because I don't have a heart and I hate kids. <laughs> you know, that kind of silly stuff. Um, but I think, Mike, what did he Wait, say? Oh, about one that? time we had a friend who doesn't live here um, uh, who was like, who was like, well, you know, those kids are really messed up. You should, the best thing to do is just have a bunch of your own kids and then like raise them as Christians. And I'm like, are we eugenicists now? Like what? Um, so anyway, we had a lot of kind of like pushback once we started to try and move forward. And we moved through that and we had a ton of people that were super supportive as well, um, especially our families and close friends. And um, then we went through the process, we're waiting. And what we had told them is we would, we would, we kind of wanted to keep our birth order, um, just to kind of get into the nitty gritties. We, we wanted to keep our birth, birth order. So our youngest was five at the time and we said we would take three and under. Um, and we just felt like we could handle one kid and like not siblings. And we knew there was a huge need for older kids and for siblings. And we were like, this is what we can handle. This is what we can do. We called it foster care light. Yes. But even light was hard for us. <laughs> um, 
so we waited about eight weeks after we got licensed, and then um, our first little placement came to us. And he was three months old and um, had been in a really, really dangerous situation and was um, rescued out of that. And the interesting thing, I think, is that, like, you know, we had been, we had the expectation that we would have several different placements and um, help them reunify and then, and then, like, have another placement. And then eventually, when a child needed a home, we would adopt a child that needed a home. Um, but our first placement turned out to be our son. And um, his case was really long. Um, but anyway, you want to you want to get into you can tell a little bit about the early days of his. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy uh, with with foster care. Those I think those first six months to me it it kind of quickly reveals itself about and, um, you know your reunifications definitely the goal early on, um, but quickly it reveals itself kind of where that's heading. You know, early on you can tell if the parents. Um, you know, are willing, you know, they are working on it, they want reunification, and they're capable of doing it, and then quickly it's clear if they're not. Um, ours from early on was not, you know, not really a likely outcome. It's kind of half and half as it typically falls one way or the other. And so that quickly revealed itself as chances are we'll probably, he'll probably need an adoptive home, and um, I think we in foster care too when on the training they they can teach you to as a foster parent it's a really good idea not to attach because that's how you survive but then they also teach you all the science of babies need attachment or they die you know like they literally everything in their body just doesn't work if they're not getting love and attachment and that tension we're like wait what are we supposed to do like that's an impossible situation, um, absolutely. And so Sarah and I both kind of agreed that we're like, screw it. If it's best for the kid, we'll, we'll just go ahead and, and uh, fully bond with this child and, and love them as much as we can. And, and then we'll go to lots of counseling. <laughs> lots of counseling. <laughs> so. And so we, we made that decision, and crying, it was, I know, okay. <laughs> Don't look at me. This is when it started to get really hard. Um, oh, thanks, guys. We'll take both. No. Um, we, this is when it started to get really hard. We, we saw how traumatic it was on this baby to take him to these visitations with these, these people that he felt very unsafe. Even as a tiny baby, he could sense it. And we could see his trauma response every time coming back. And these were state-ordered, mandatory visitations that we had to. And as he got older, he got more vocal. He would cling to me with all four limbs and say, Mommy, Mommy, no! And I'd have to pull him off of myself and hand him over. And the the trauma response when he would come home was just like, I mean, he'd be like catatonic, shaking, and I would, I was telling anybody who would hear me, like, this is not okay, this cannot happen. Um, but we just kept, there was no other choice, you have to keep going forward. And um, I kind of would just rock him to sleep at night and pray. and. Ask God, like, 
is he, can I trust you with his life? Can I really trust that you will take care of him even if he leaves? And I didn't really, I didn't really know. I would go back and forth. I felt like the centurion in the Bible who would say, I believe, forgive my unbelief, over and over. And his crib at night became this altar that I would place him on. And um, after my prayer time of rock, rocking him to sleep, I would just have to like put it to rest. Oh, I'm crying. I can't hear you. Say that. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, and s- s- similar kind of feelings. Um, my dad was very like, um, like verbally abusive, also physically with other people, but not me, fortunately. But the anger issue is very similar with this bio dad. Um, so just pulling them off me and handing them to this angry person. Just so bad. Same thing with a lack of control. Or, of course, as kindly as I can say it, I want to kind of throat punch this bio dad to protect a child. And I can't, you know, to protect this kid I love. So it was tough. Um, yeah. Similar kind of feeling where day by day, quickly falling in love with this child and um, that child needing a father. So. And, after about a yeah. year, after about a year, um, we were still still had no answers. It was kind of like we weren't closer to a conclusion in this case, even though that's the law. Um, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> and like my mama bear really came out during that time where I was just like, "This is wrong." Like, um, but we started. Um, we did in mom's group. We did a talk on Sabbath during that time, and. Um, I was like, okay, well, that sounds great, but like my husband's never gonna go for that because he's such a doer. He's such a, a work guy. And, um, he's like, oh, we finished early. I have more time for work. Um, uh, and so, and so I was, I didn't even bring it up to him, but separately, he started listening to this podcast that was, um, talking about Sabbath. And we started during that season observing the Sabbath very, very intentionally, where Clint would just say, like, it's Shabbat, and and observe, we would um, take 24 hours of just, I mean, you guys have read the Bible, you know, the Sabbath. Um, we would... <laughs> We would just really intentionally take from Friday night to Saturday night to rest. And our goal was relax, have fun, remember God loves you, and say that to our kids over and over and say it to ourselves. And so we would take 24 hours off from our constant 24-hour-a-day worry in the back of our mind of what is going to happen to our son. Um, And we began to say to each other, trust the story. Trust that when you are spinning out, that God that God called you to this, and he, it, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. We really honestly didn't know. Like, looking back, like, right now, it might be easy for people to be like, oh, you guys were always going to adopt him. We really didn't. We were getting a lot of different noise from from the people in the, involved in the case that is, this really could go either way. 
And uh, we really waited for two years to, to really, truly feel confident that he was going to stay with us. Um, so 27 months later, his case ended. Praise God. And they finally um, upheld the law, terminated his, his bio parents' parental rights, and then we were in the waiting game of waiting to get an adoption date. Um, so after the adoption, um, I about three weeks after the adoption, I started losing a lot of hair. And I just lost like a bit, like a bunch of hair at once. And I went into the doctor and they did a little biopsy of my scalp. And um, my doctor listed all these different kinds of hair loss that there is. And she comes back two weeks later after they like took the sample at the lab and tested it. And she's like, this is postpartum hair loss. And I, I've never seen this with an adoption before. But I could trace it back to that. She gave me like a pamphlet. And I could trace the timeline back to that termination hearing date. And that is when I finally birthed that baby. <laughs> so... So, um, I guess, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, I don't... Well... <laughs> sorry, guys. I can pass my tissues around. Um, so, so, we... One verse in the Bible that we really were kind of looking to during this time was James 127, and that's the verse about caring for widows and orphans. And um, we ended up changing our son's name to James, and named him after my grandpa, my mom's dad. And um, it's it, we didn't even really do that on purpose, but that was like the verse that kept coming back to us during that time. And we and then we named him James. So that was really special to kind of figure that out. But um, things that things on our journey. So we wanted to make sure to make it clear today that um, not not everybody is called to do foster care. I mean, do you guys want to sign up right now after this? <laughs> we have a sign up form. <laughs> no, um, really, truly, not everybody is called. And if you're called, you'll know. But what I do think that this verse, I'll read it to you real quick. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I like the message of that as well. Hold on, let me open that. Um, it says, anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God, the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their, in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. So one thing that we could not have survived that journey without is the people that were around us. I mean, you guys, after I would peel James off of me and go weep in my car, many, many times I would actually breakdown in tears after that. I had about three friends that were on, that were ready. They knew I would call them. And they just, 
were there. They were my mom, my sisters, and then a couple of really close friends were just available. And making themselves available was like how I survived, kind of. And I know a lot of people have harder harder foster care journeys than ours, and some people have easier journeys than ours. But the point is that the, the, the body surrounding us is how we were able to function through that, even though like it was still hard. I don't really know what we would have done if we didn't have those people. I think from a marriage perspective, and perhaps I'm wrong, but I think, um, you know, having an easy marriage is not necessarily, uh, or I would say not a healthy marriage, right? So um, going through hard things together is one of the best and encouraging things that you can do for your marriage. So lots of those phone calls, lots of crying together, praying together, and just desperate together where we were on the same page um, towards a really good goal. And it was really hard, and we did it together. Um, it's a real, like, rock in our marriage where it's like we got matching tattoos or matching scars, you know, where we're like, I've seen some stuff, you know. <laughs> we got so through it. I think that's important to know. That was really special. I, I love serving together as a married couple. That's just a really beautiful beautiful thing. And I had never experienced that with Sarah before where we were able to do that together. Um, we take turns. And I think as our marriages often do where we, one of us is crazy and falling down apart when and then you, the other one, it's not your turn to fall apart. I'm calm apart. and saying, trust the story. <laughs> it'll, it'll work out. And then the, then we switch. And then occasionally we both do it at the same time. I'm like, Oh God, help us. <laughs> Let's order takeout. I can't function. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, I think it, Clint, you want to you want to tell them. That. Oh yeah, I think um, I, I I know a lot of moms typically I think are more kind of more into potentially doing foster care or something like this. And I, I think oftentimes it's the dad that kind of gets hung up on it. And so if there's anything, um, like if this is on your heart or on you and your husband's heart, I'd love to give you my phone number if you'd like to. Uh, you know, I could talk with your husband or, of course, not coercing not them to do it. Not going to convince him. Yeah, but it's just, I think it's, it's really helpful to talk through the details and what it's like and some of the, those challenges and just relate. So if you'd like my phone number, please come up to me and I, I'd love to do that because I, I, um, we can send it out in the post, the, okay. the email that goes out to the group after this, we can send it out. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, yeah, I would love to do that because it, it has been, um, <clears throat> such a, such a positive journey for me. I, I think as I think about that verse in James, um, you know, we're called to, to serve, um, you know, our, our God has gone to such ends in our lives um, to to do work in our lives and grow us, and we're supposed to turn around and then go do that for other people. So whether it's widows or orphans or homeless or whatever the marginalized is, um, and it's so counterintuitive. It is so, so counterintuitive. It's like the world wants, and you naturally want comfort and limited liability and control and 
all those things that God wants none of. Um, and we're called to kind of just relationship and love and sacrifice, and it's so counterintuitive, but it's where life is and growth. Um, there's so many analogies to this. It's like working out and eating healthy, right? You don't want to do that, but if you do, that's where you find life. Um, you know, or, you know, the other thing I think of is like stagnant water, right? Water, if it sits, it gets really gross and smelly, but if it moves, it's, you know, good water. It's the, it's the same kind of thing as we're called to that movement. And I am so thankful we started listening to that call um, on our lives because it is such a personal um, accomplishment for me of personal healing and um, a journey. It was just, it's such a wonderful story to me. My son has my middle name. That's my bio dad's name. And uh, it's redeemed. It's such, a, it's such a beautiful testament of God's mercy in my life that I can do that out of abundance, but also out of my son's life that the mercy of God picked up this child who needed a family um, and provided one. So that's what better thing is there, right? And it took, you know, of course, taking a step and taking some chances and doing some hard things. And I am very proud of it. You know, it's really special. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, the anger thing was such a big thing with um, James's dad, his bio dad, as well as mine. So I, I have the memories of lots of police calls and lots of angry stuff. And I had to go pick up my foster son from police calls at the visitation center and lots of anger. And he, I mean, he ended up at the hospital yeah, after what, a visit before, like... Yeah, what, what, a, what a beautiful... What a beautiful thing, right? Where I, I understand that and, you know, I can hold them and understand what that's like. And, and I, I really love, I really love him speaking his identity over him. Like since we've adopted him, I have noticed, I mean, he's more verbal now. He's three now. Um, but we, I mean, our parenting style has changed over the years with like foster care and going through the parenting classes with that. But, um, I mean, when he does something wrong, like whatever hit his sister or something like that, um, Clint will like swoop him up in his arms and just like whisper in his ear, like, that's not who you are. And I love that Clint can speak his identity into him. I mean, any any dad can do that. Any parent can do that to their child. But I'm, it feels poignant to me because of, like, where he came from and where Clint came from. And now they're together. And it's just, like, sweet. I love it. Yeah. So um, we wanted to share this with you. I So last spring, we actually were supposed to speak to this group about this. Um, and our snow, we had a snow day in like May or something and it got canceled. I don't remember what day it was, but we were supposed to speak and it got canceled. And I'm glad because we weren't really ready. And I mean, we're barely ready now. We're like kind of a basket case. I'm like, let's throw all these away. Um, but I wanted to share with you because I feel like before we started foster care, like I was really interested and I wanted to hear people's stories and 
Um, so I wanted to share this testimony of what God did in our lives and also answer any questions that anybody might have. Um, so we're going to open it up to Q&A, but I mean, you can also email us later if, if anything comes up um, or if you and your husband want to meet with us or whatever. So um, does anybody have any questions? I'll, I'll walk around with the mic. Can you guys, um, thanks for sharing first. Um, can you guys talk about how the, this process worked for your other kids? Yeah. Great question. That was one of our biggest concerns going into it. Um, and, and surprises of how much. Yeah. So, so we did tell them when they were, when we were going through the certification process, we explained it to them like, we're going to sign up for this thing where we watch a baby. There, sometimes people don't know how to be parents. And they were six and four at the time. So we felt like that was like an age-appropriate explanation. And we're going to take care of a baby at our house. And then the baby will go back when their parents learn how to be parents. And that worked for a while, about the first year of the case. And then we realized they were observing his trauma when he would return home from visitations. And they thought it was inevitable that he was returning home to them and reunification was imminent. And so we decided to tell them the truth, the full, the full truth at that point that like, well, sometimes people can't learn how to be parents and then they stay with the family and they were so overjoyed. Well, I mean, the, it was really a lot for them to go through like, we pulled all the tricks out of our hats. We bought like pets, like lots of pets. Like we had all like pets. parakeets. <laughs> we were like going out for a special ice cream all the time. We're like praying with them. I mean, they were they were feeling the stress of it um, towards the end, especially because they were older and they realized like this is messed up. Um, why isn't this over? Yeah, I mean they quickly adopt attached right and just the fear of like is he gonna go live with those people they're not safe they're homeless they're this is awful and, and we have to stop it you know and we're like oh god yes that's it um, so so we ended up just I mean it was hard on them but we also we felt like it expanded their worldview and their trust in God and their compassion so I mean it's just a trade-off like anything else but that is like the that was probably our main concern going into it but certainly positive we did but like if he had returned home i mean i was like really worried about all of us um so i don't know i mean i i think we would have just been a lot of counseling a lot of a lot of hamsters there's i don't know yeah. <laughs> i I, I worry that my kids have a too easy of a life that, you know, they're not developing the right character they need to and the right view of the world. And to know how close homelessness can be to their story or to step into that and understand these stories, go through a hard thing together as a family. So I'm so grateful for it that my kids went through it and they're now growing up to be better human beings that are capable of love and empathy. So I super positive although hard <laughs> um the system sounds really terrible 
So if you wanted to foster, should we go to a different state and do it? Or in your research, like what, is there any hope for the system to become healthier in terms of that, of those precedents or I don't know, it sounds awful. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's interesting. I, I think one thing we noticed, and I don't want to sound anti-reunification because that's not the case, but there's a, a spectrum there of when it makes sense and when it doesn't. And Colorado is very much on the side of reunification. I think top few states out of the all of them. So they, they're incentivized to send kids home. And that has consequences, horrible consequences. I have unlimited stories of sending, forcing kids home to awful situations where they're continue to be abused. And they end up harmed. in the ICU. Like and nobody's these. held accountable for the harm that comes from that. Um, they're just trying to force them back to hit quota. It's awful. So and and the caseworkers are demonized in this process, but it's really the higher up people. It's the legislators and the judges that are that are not upholding the law or legislating appropriately based on research. And so we are actually we've become involved in legislation reform uh, for foster care in Colorado, um, but it's just super tangly. Yesterday, actually, like a bunch of foster parents uh, went up in testified um, at the Capitol for this new bill that was being passed um, that's um, even more extremely in favor of biological parents' rights. Um, and it's just, I, in my opinion, I walk away being like, it's another example of how children don't matter. Babies don't matter. Adults matter. And, and um, there's a lot of great biological parents that are just put in crappy situations that really should reunify with their children. But like we are far beyond what is like a acceptable amount of risk for these kids in Colorado. I'm just curious if you guys had a CASA assigned to your case and how that went if you did. Uh, you, go ahead. Uh, yeah, we had, we had two over the course of the very long two and a half years, and we were very close friends with both of them, and they were wonderful. Um, more of a, as an encouragement, I, the, the one on the second half, so sweet. She just kind of became a partner. Of, I was up all night thinking about what I would say to the judge and how I could advocate for you and for him. And so, you know, they came to his adoption party and they, they were, they were sweet, of course. They were such a positive and I, I plan on probably doing CASA too. Um, if for those of you who don't know, CASA is a volunteer position that's there just to look after the child and kind of court, court appointed special advocate, I believe it is. Yeah, I did CASA for a little bit, and you're really advocating for the child. You're not advocating for the foster parents, and you're not advocating for the bio parents. You're really trying to get to know the child and figure out what's best for the child in observing both the visitations with the parents and the foster parents and getting to know the whole situation. So I would encourage if you are interested in foster care, that's one avenue that you might be able to take. But I'm curious, like, because when I served, the judges were very much 
listening to the CASA. And so it sounds like in this case, they, they weren't really caring about what the CASA volunteer had to say. No, our judge wouldn't even allow our CASA to speak at several of the hearings. And um, so she was really nice, but uh, not, it wasn't very effective because they weren't even allowing her to speak in court, um, which they're supposed to. So, yeah. But it's a, it's a good thing to bring up of like ways to kind of get involved if this is an area that you're like you're kind of drawn towards and you care about. So CASA is a great way, foster care obviously, but, and then there's also other ones that you support the foster parents, like Foster Together is a, one organization that I know. What's that? Well, to be respite, you have to still get uh, all the home certificate, yeah, so you practically are a foster parent to be able to do respite. But we are able to help with simple background checks going to friend's house. Um, is another option. If you have close friends, then they trust you to go to their house. You only need to get background checked. But if the children come to your house, you have to get full home study, and it's quite a lot of work. So, um, you know, poor James didn't get to sleep over at Grandma's house, you know, for forever, of course, because, you know, that doesn't have a home study done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You kind of answered the question I was going to ask is just if you guys, when you send out the email, if you can include some of your kind of vetted organizations and just places that people can learn and and or get involved because um, locally like I'm I used to be involved in Georgia and even worked for an agency there for a little while but um, I don't know anything about the Colorado Springs area and ministries and all there's that stuff. so many there's so many great kind of like para like foster care organizations that you could support a family, surround a family doing it, like sign up to bring them a meal once a month or whatever. I mean, there's like a lot of different ones um, and we can set out a list. Yeah. There's but, also a foster adopted connect like mom's group through no. <laughs> through New Life Church. Yeah. Um, Nita, yeah. Nita. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, and I, I can't, um, we, we got into a small group right before we started with foster care that was just so sweet and they had such a heart for it and so supportive. It's such a great group of people that we just love so much and that simple friendship and kind of going with you and helping you, of course, um, is, is so wonderful of just how was your week? I know this is hard. What can we do to help? Just that goes a long way. If you have a, a friend, then of course you want to help. So I work in the pro-life ministry and I, I feel like so many human rights issues are intertwined and there's political, uh, like pro-life is very politicized and foster care seems to be one of the most tangible um, avenues of extending that um, that compassion and that empathy for a, ch a child who um, is in a situation. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like pro-life is very, um, we, a lot of people say, oh, well, you only care about the baby and then they're born and you don't care anymore. So I'm very passionate about how can I challenge myself to extend that beyond. And um, I feel like everything you're saying is there's so many ways, even if you're not 
ready to be a foster parent yourself, but um, I know you can get certified as a, a babysitter, right? Where you could, is that the respite thing you're talking about? Yes. And that would be, that would have been such a blessing. I mean, a couple of different people in our lives to get certified to mm-hmm. do that. Um, but it was really a uh, claustrophobic feeling kind of sometimes to not be able to leave the county for that time. And yeah. so um, we had a couple of people that we knew that got certified to do that, um, to watch him overnight at our house. And that was a huge blessing. So if you know somebody in your life, like in your life, you should ask them about, if you're up for it, you should ask them about like going to spend the night at their house. So you don't have to get your house home studied. You just have to, you know, send in some paperwork to their agency, like your car insurance and your license and your, um, do a background check, blah, blah, blah. It's not like a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just trying to help think, connect even the organizations in town um, to how I know about safe families. We've partnered with them. My organization has. And so to see unity between these two issues is crucial, in my opinion. And so I was just hoping to connect those two things of this is that tangible step of supporting a child's life and loving them beyond the womb. And so I think it's a very beautiful, wonderful thing. Yeah, and we've, it's funny because I have a really close friend who's, um, like, she's, she's a very outspoken, um, abortion rights activist. And, um, she's like, you're the only person that I'll listen to about being pro life because you're actually living it out with your life. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you should see some other people I know. <laughs> They're doing really good. <laughs> So, so it is a great way to live out your faith and your beliefs in that. Yeah, I love that. Wh- who do you work for? Oh, that's awesome. Cool. So you mentioned you weren't allowed to leave the county. Um, that is definitely something I'd never heard about in relation to fostering. So can you expand on that? But also were there other things with, while being a foster parent that you weren't allowed to do or had to operate within a certain parameter? Nothing. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't do anything. And I am in seven, an Enneagram seven. So I felt like I was like, I was like trapped. Um, okay. So truly we had to get four levels of approval to leave El Paso County with James. Um, if he wasn't with us, we could leave, but then it was the whole situation of like, he, we could only leave him for up to like six hours with uh, somebody else, like even like a, a grandparent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was really, it was really tough to not be able to go anywhere. Luckily that was during COVID. So I had to be home anyway. Otherwise I maybe would have lost my mind. Um, but what else could, I mean, we couldn't have a trampoline. We couldn't have, it's like being on house arrest. Incident reports. Incident. If he gets a scratch, and he has like really sensitive, like fair skin. He's like translucent. And so like everything was a scratch. So I'm always having to write these instant reports. Um, and then you have to submit them and you have to med- medication logs. And I know a lot of people have to do this stuff like in their capacity as whatever, like a teacher or whatever, that's normal. But for us, it felt really like, we're his parents. Why do we have to write down when we gave him his antibiotic? Totally. I think the thing that was helpful that we learned later on is a lot of those things you can just give them an FYI and not ask for permission 
So we found that they're really not so strict as they kind of tell you. So that was nice. Of, FYI, we're going to Denver for the day. Let us know if that's an issue. Like that was much better than getting four proactive approvals first. So but we, didn't, we didn't learn that till like probably like 20 months into the case. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, would have been nice to know. I'm telling you, in case you become foster parents. <laughs> Well, thank you, ladies. Please um, email us or call us if you have any more questions. And um, I just, I just appreciate you guys listening to our story. And um, we are so thankful for our church and this community because we just we couldn't have done it otherwise. So, anyway, praise God. Okay, um, so we're we're going to uh, kind of wrap up, go into table discussions now. So um, everybody, we have about thirty minutes to um, just sit and get more food, get coffee, table discussions. Please come, and if you have any questions, you can ask us like privately. And thanks for listening. Okay.